Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, I'm Grant Wall. Welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. This week's interview guest is Alexi Lawless of Fox Sports. A quick reminder, if you like the podcast, it would really help us if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. Onward! Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Our guest today here in Los Angeles is Alexi Lawless. He's with Fox Sports, and he hosts the State of the Union podcast with David Mossy, which you should most definitely check out if you haven't. Alexi, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, welcome to my neck of the woods out here in uh, beautiful Los Angeles. And uh, you know, we've, we've met up in different places around the world <laughs> over the years. So this is uh, a wonderfully luxur- luxurious hotel room that we are coming to you from right now. I, I think it's almost studio quality here. It's beautiful. Uh, it's beautiful. Your uh, <laughs> your dulcet tones are amplified and 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 even more glorious than normal. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Um, there's a lot to talk about, mostly MLS wise these days. Uh, I'm out here for the MLS Media Day stuff, where they bring out a bunch of players from around the league and and do interviews ahead of the start of the season, but. Chicharito is the big name that everyone's talking about, uh, rightfully so. It looks like he is set 
very soon to join the LA Galaxy. He's kind of been the white whale, I described him, of MLS and to some extent the Galaxy uh, from over the years. Like Now that this appears to finally be happening, what are your thoughts? Well, I think I think it was you that that also described him as uh, maybe arguably, but uh, one of the uh, most famous Mexican players ever to walk the earth. Well, no, uh, literally one of the most famous, I'm maybe sorry, the, the most Mexicans, famous Mexican me. person. Exactly. So, um, you know, from a, a Q rating uh, <laughs> and a popularity standpoint, there, th- this checks all the boxes, and you know, it's, I know we're going to talk about podcasts and and you know the process of podcasting and uh you know i do a weekly one and so i have to keep some of the powder dry green, yes so I, I understand you everything but fair enough <clears throat> but in essence you know when, when it comes down to chicharito it, it's interesting because having uh both as you have been around for now we're once again we'll be talking about the 25th <laughs> anniversary which is amazing to me but having seen the evolution of the league and in particular the los angeles galaxy uh, having played for the galaxy and having worked for the galaxy uh this concept of the super club this is this is not something that you know should they sign chichir not they have to sign chicharito and uh, in order to check those boxes and and like you said this has been something that's been bandied about for a number of years uh, I, I, from a from a rock star perspective, this is a no brainer. All right, I think where the interesting conversation is going to come over the next few weeks, and then as as it get into the season, if this ultimately does to come to fruition, is from a playing perspective, what this is because he's obviously coming in to replace uh, Zlatan. And Zlatan, love him or hate him, I think everybody respected that when he got on the field, he did the job and he backed up all that, all that talk. Now, Chicharito is both a different person and a very different type of player than Zlatan, but he's going to be asked to do kind of the same thing. So I think it's, I think it's fascinating. I think, as I said, it's a no-brainer for the Galaxy at this moment because of that super club status that they have cultivated over the years. It kind of have to do it. Um, but it's just, I mean, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what type of player he ultimately is on the field. Where does this rank for you? Because I've heard all over the map people saying stuff about how important it would be in the history of MLS for Chicharito to sign. So where for you does this compare to Beckham, Ibrahimovic, Wayne Rooney, um, Thierry Henry? I, where is it? Because I've heard some people say, oh, this is almost as big as Beckham. No. No, not even close. Uh, it's it's big, um, but I, I I wasn't hit with it in the same way that that any of those names that you just mentioned hit me. And some of those names that have come and gone, uh, they I don't feel that they I feel that they're on a different echelon. Now, look, Chicharito, we all understand that uh, that coveted market of the uh, you know Mexican American type of uh, soccer fan that is out there that maybe hasn't looked at Major League Soccer as part of their palette or something that is relevant in their soccer viewing world. And once again, whether it's Chicharito or anybody else, you're trying to get as many people into the tent as possible. And I'm not just talking about front offices or leagues or, or teams. In the soccer world, we're trying to invite as many people in as possible. And so to the extent that you can find somebody that is that messenger, that is that conduit that opens up that tent to more people, look, I think Chicharito does something like that. And that's, that's a good thing. And as, as, is the case with, was, as was the case with David Beckham or anybody else, big profile. It's not 
what you do when you're actually there. It's, it's almost the legacy that you leave. So can you introduce people to it that then will remain and continue to be fans of, in this case, it would be the Galaxy, and in general, because he's going to draw a lot of people on the road too, introduce them, give them a taste of what MLS is, because there's still a lot of people out there, even the 25th year and as much success that MLS has had, there's still a lot of people out there that haven't tasted that MLS uh, type of um, experience. And I think once people get a taste of it, a certain percentage will stay. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going to call him Chicharito or Javier, because I remember when Kaká, you remember this when yeah, Kaká yeah, yeah. came to the league yeah. and Beckham talked about Kaká and he always called him Ricardo. <laughs> Which I don't think anybody does, but I think it's I think it's going to be really hard, especially in Los Angeles and Hollywood, and and you know the penchant we have for for nicknames to call him anything but Chicharito. I think you know uh, we were talking off air earlier about the great John Strong, who we've both worked with, um, and uh, I, for me a, a legend in the making, if not already a legend when it comes to broadcasting soccer. And we're so fortunate, Fox, to have him uh, with us. Uh, but I think that John Strong would probably be, say, I will call him Javier Hernandez in the beginning, and then we will quickly, you know, uh, we'll quickly become Chicharito going forward. But I'll, I, I will defer to him in that he can, he will establish it when we come on air, and then I'm just going to call him Chicharito for the entire time. So, I mean, how can you not? It's such a wonderful name. You got to call him that. Actually, Sir Alex Ferguson used to call him Javier in some oh, sort of really? weird French-like pronunciation, and nobody bothered to correct him. That's crazy. That's like uh, that's like uh, my good friend David Mossy, who you mentioned on uh, on our podcast. He's always coming up with very strange pronunciations of Wayfa, and he vacillates between Barcelona and Barcelona. I know I've talked to you about that before. This week he had a, a what did he have this week? We love you, David. He, he called Disney Plus Disney Plus. Did he really? Yeah. Kennel Plus. I haven't heard this one. Kind of plus, and I was like, David, what is your problem? So it's, it, it is amazing in the soccer community how we we you know we talk and dissect when it comes to how to pronounce it, and it's you know we are we are uh, children, creatures of the world, and we are influenced maybe more so than any soccer culture out there. So much from the outside, and and so we're we're always worried about offending somebody uh, in terms of the way that we say things or or, or do things. Well, as we move on to Santi Cazorla, no, we'll, uh, we'll leave that for a different discussion. Um, MLS Media Day, MLS 2020. What are you most excited about with MLS in 2020? Well, I mean, 25 years. I think yeah. that's, that's worthy of celebration. I don't know about you because, you know, you've been around a long time, too. It, it, it seems like yesterday. Um, I was a little... Uh, saddened by the fact that we didn't have the super draft uh, yeah. moment that we've had for so many years. And yeah, it was kind of a boondoggle uh, <laughs> and there were plenty of wonderful nights out. But I was also uh, you know, lamenting the fact that, and, and for people that don't know, the, the MLS super draft for years and years was held in conjunction with the coaches convention and it was a, a real kind of week-long process with the combine into the super draft. And as the world has changed and our culture has changed and obviously MLS has changed. The super draft has come less and less super, <laughs> shall we shall we say. But that, that, that fraternity and that camaraderie of everybody that covered soccer that was around and you really got a lot of information out of that week, whether it was the combine or the, uh, the draft. And so that's, that's gone away. Having said that, um, if you look at what Major League Soccer is on the, in the 25th year anniversary, um, it's pretty amazing. And I know we, we kick ourselves at times for what we aren't as a soccer playing nation or as a league or, or, or as a team or whatever. And I'm talking about any league. But 
it's pretty amazing what Major League Soccer has done. Now, look, it's not without flaws, and it's not, it, it, and it's not that it's not worthy at times of uh, of real true criticism for some of the stuff that happens on and off the field. But you know, sometimes you also have to pat yourself on the back for how far we've come in a relatively short period of time when you put it up against other leagues and, and countries and cultures in terms of how quickly MLS. And when I say MLS, yes, I'm talking about a specific thing, but it's also the, the greater soccer community out there and how yeah. much it's grown over the 25 years. So, so that's, that, that, that's worth celebrating. So going back to 96, the first year of the yeah. league, you were one of the most important players for the league owners to make sure was on board and in the league with uh, the New England Revolution mm, back yeah. in the day. Um, if you're being honest and you go back, think back to those days, do you think you could have gotten in your contract at the time some sort of ownership stake <laughs> in the league yeah. like Beckham got when he signed with the Galaxy, if you could go back in time and, and do that? Yeah, I, if, I, if I had to do it over again, somebody asked me that the other day and, and I was immediately I said I would have gotten something in there in the way that uh, the incredibly smart David Beckham team got for a uh, set price for an expansion team. And we all know that 10, 15 years ago, you could have gotten it for $5 million, yeah. $5, whatever it ends up being, and the latest one's going for over $300 million. So it was uh, an incredibly smart uh, bit of business that they did. And I was there at that end when they were negotiating that, that, that whole clause. And at the time, it, was, it wasn't a throwaway. There was a recognition of the value or the potential value. I don't think we recognized how value it would be. But if I could go back, yeah, of course I would do, do something like that because of the value. But you know, at that point, it was still a, uh, a leap of faith to a certain extent. Actually, a, a hotel just like this, and I know you're listening, so you can't see what, what this hotel looks like, but it looks like a hotel room, just a regular hotel room. I remember signing my MLS contract to come back in 96, so it would have been in 95, mm -hmm. in a hotel room very similar to this in Piscataway, New Jersey, uh, in uh, with Sunil Gulati, who at that point was you know going back and forth between U.S. soccer and, and MLS and all that kind of stuff, and uh, it was like this. And I remember the contract being spread all around my agent's the hotel room floor, and nice. it was it was wild. Fax west. paper. It was yeah, oh yeah, a lot of fax fax paper. It was it was wild west back then, and. I'm, it's amazing how far the league and the sport has come since then. And so people ask me, uh, do, do, are you, uh, do, should, should this generation uh, have any kind of, type of uh, gratitude or, or, or debt to that previous generation that came along? And I say, no, I'm, I'm so happy that there are players that are going to step on the field this MLS season that have no clue that Wild West type of feeling or what it was back then. For me, that's a sign of progress. I don't, I don't need them to... Uh, say thank you. I don't need them to respect me or anything like that, uh, or respect me or so many others, both men and women on and off the field, that worked so hard to get this to that 25th year. Uh, this is this is what progress is, and it's a, and it's a good thing. I'm glad that there are there are kids. I'll call them kids that are growing up today, that have MLS in their landscape and 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 don't think about it in any other way than any other professional yeah. sports league out there. Well, Beckham's Inter-Miami coming into the league yeah. this season along with Nashville SC. Had you been an owner with your team, I'm assuming it would have been in Detroit. I think that Detroit can be you're a from. very successful uh, Major League Soccer locale. What would it have been called? What would the colors have been? <laughs> well, 
uh, first off, I know what it wouldn't have been called. I wouldn't have done the football, okay? Okay. I, I, I wouldn't do the football because, you know, it's still a possibility. I think that's one of the markets right now that still is very appealing to Major League Soccer <laughs> as we continue to see expansion come at a rapid rate. Um, like, I think inevitably you have to recognize and pay homage to the past and what Detroit has been, obviously, from an auto perspective, you know, also, but there's a wonderful history in Detroit that, Detroit that doesn't even necessarily always have to do with uh, with the auto industry. And Detroit was a very cosmopolitan and um, and rich place, and it went through a lot of changes, as we as we all know. So, what would it be? I don't know. I I think that in an effort right now to appeal to the world, and I recognize that some of these teams are parts of global enterprises and therefore have to reflect that um i think we've i I think i would do something that is unique and different i I like uh, as opposed to united or all the the things that we always talk about i'd want something that stood out now when you do that you set yourself up because people are going to go oh what's going on why are you called the i don't know pick pick your whatever animal or thing that you want out there but and then and then you get risk calling you know calling attention to it is that you're 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 regressive and you're <laughs> you know the Dallas burn or whatever pick your pick your your thing out there but I would definitely buck the system or the the tradition right now when it comes to uh, naming things and that I wouldn't have United I wouldn't have FC uh, I would have no problem being the Detroit blank fill it in whatever yeah. thing or person or uh, animal that you want there. Okay, I like it. Um, the CBA is another yes. talking point. Uh, it ends on January 31st, not long from now. Um, I don't get the vibe that people are thinking, oh man, there's going to be a strike. But you never know. You don't, and I, I, <clears throat> I'm not worried uh, because I think that there's some smart people on both sides, to be quite honest, that recognize you don't want to kill the i'm not going to call it a golden goose yet but it's certainly a goose that is providing <laughs> so that's that's Some sort important. of metallic not you know, gold. yeah we were we were talking uh you know earlier it's all fine and well to to talk about fighting the man and, and doing all that until those checks don't start coming and uh, it, for all the talk of the, the progress and the success that they've had and some of the big numbers that they're throwing out right now and some of the big paychecks that they have, uh, there's still the majority of the players out there that need that paycheck coming on a consistent basis. And as soon as it doesn't start coming, things get really, di- things get really dicey. And look, the players' union is smart and they will talk about how they – you know, they compensate for that, and they have a, a you know ability to sustain that. Well, but that only lasts for for so long. I do think that there are, as I said, smart folks out there. But I think there also is a recognition from a player standpoint that whether it's the truth or not, I think that there is a belief that they got not taken, but maybe taken advantage of more so than they needed to on the last go around. And so maybe they'll try to make up for that here, especially when. You scream and yell about money, you finally agree to something, and then the next thing that happens is more money is injected in there. So Tan what is really being negotiated here yeah. if it's already there? And you know nobody's going to give you something unless you actually ask for it. And if you find out it was there all along, that can be dis, uh, disheartening. But I don't think that uh, I don't think that it would. I don't think it would help either side. I don't think it would help soccer to have a strike. But it's not something that would destroy the league or destroy soccer. Now, 
you're in an interesting position in your career. You were part of a union and a very influential part of like the U.S. men's national team players union and even its origins, if I remember yeah. correctly. And then you were part of management uh, with different MLS teams. Uh, what are you now? Are you are you like are you a union guy? Are you a management guy? Where are you? I am. You are what you can negotiate. Uh, that's that that is your worth. I am. <clears throat> I am someone who believes in business. Uh, I believe in the market will decide. I believe in the customer and the and the consumer will decide. You know, for example, I believe that. Um, that if there is a team, let's take MLS for example, if there's a team in MLS that believes that for their market, the best course of action is having all players that are international, foreign uh, uh, players. If you want to start 11 foreign players, fine, go for it. If that's what you believe is best for your product and that's what's going to resonate in your market, uh, then go for it. I don't like quotas or restrictions. I don't think MLS's responsibility is to foster the uh, talent for the U.S. men's national team. Look, this is a, a, a la cosa nostra to a certain extent. I remember getting on that plane in, in 96 to come back, one of the proudest moments of my life, to come back to start this. But this is a league that, while it may have been founded on giving opportunities to American players, um, that is not, that is a, I think that's a, has become certainly a byproduct. And we in our business on the outside, whether we're actually in the business or we're just peripheral, we love to tell people how to spend their money. And it's really easy to tell them. I enjoy people. it. <laughs> I know, it's really easy to tell them, you should do this and you should do this and you should do this. And it's different when it is actually your money. And I don't, as a business owner, which is ultimately what these folks are, and they are businesses, and that's not a dirty word or anything like that, I don't want anybody telling me how to spend my money and how to organize and go about my business. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't restrictions and there aren't minimum standards and all that kind of stuff. But in general, I want to be given the opportunity to rise or fall based on what I feel is appropriate for selling my product. Now, it's a little different, though, in MLS because it is a collective. It is a single it's a, it's, This is like the socialism of soccer in this, in this league, my friend, right? It, it, it is for me for you can look at it you can look at both ways yes in that it is an entity but within that entity it also is a business which is why i always say if you want to compete against mls go build a better mousetrap and go build something that the customer wants more than mls right now and then within mls there's also you know uh, i guess to use your word a socialistic type of uh bent at times but but it, it is the business of of Major League Soccer and the business of soccer in the United States in and of itself without even kicking a ball is fascinating to, to discuss and to see how it's evolved over the years. One could even argue with the support that the U.S. Soccer Federation has given MLS with some and all that, that this is state-sponsored socialism. Uh, maybe, yes. Uh, well, wait, you're calling, so who's who's the state in this one? What U.S. Soccer. Talking? U.S. Soccer is the state. All right. I guess, Grant. I don't know. You're the Princeton guy, right? I mean, up the road at Rutgers, you know, I was already headed to the bar at this point when we were studying that. I feel like the hammer and sickle should be MLS's, like, symbol. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Come on. Um, what is a typical work week like for you in 2020? So, we were, we were talking earlier about... First off, so summers for the most part are filled with uh, 
are usually filled with big tournaments and stuff like that. And for a number of years, it's been big tournaments, whether it's full World Cups, women's, men's, uh, whether it's Copa Americas. Uh, in the past, it's been Euros, all sorts of different different things. You know, right now, <clears throat> we are finishing out uh, at Fox with uh, our contract with uh, the Bundesliga, which has been wonderful. I've really enjoyed it. It's not a league, I'll be honest with you, that I covered and followed a tremendous amount. And to kind of get an understanding of what it is both on and off the field over the last few years has really been beneficial to understanding you know, what my job is, and which is, yeah. which is soccer. It's been fun to watch that league, which is very, very different in the way that they go about doing their, doing their business. Uh, so mostly it's watching soccer. It's talking about soccer. Uh, obviously, we do the uh, a lot of the digital stuff that goes on, including the uh, the podcast. Uh, weekends now with Bundesliga are early, early mornings. Yeah. So we're up really, really early. The good part is that we are done at a time where you have the rest of the day, although a lot of that day is spent recovering from the fact that you were up at <laughs> 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning uh, to get to the studio. I'm not complaining. I'm not complaining about any of this. I... I I am the first to admit that I live an incredibly charmed and privileged life that in the year 2020, it's amazing we're saying 2020, yeah. that in the year 2020, I am able to make uh, a living and a very good living uh, in the world of soccer without even kicking a ball. Uh, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands, and they are coming fast and furious as they continue to, uh, and I, when I say I mean the uh, folks that would love to have my job, uh, but I'm not going down without a fight. Good, good. Um, and what's MLS starts up here what will your sort of work situation be for mls this year so at times i'll be actually uh calling games uh so i still continue to do uh, color commentary you know my first love and and where i feel the most comfortable is in a studio setting which will also happen for mls games either uh from the studio in los angeles mm -hmm. uh more often than not though actually on site mm -hmm. uh giving people you know the pre the half and the post type of analysis that, that they've come to expect, whether they agree or not, is a is a different story. But you know, I'll be all over the place. And look, this is there is a celebration, there is a a wonderful relationship that uh, that we at Fox have had with Major League Soccer, and we want to celebrate that anniversary. We want to grow it. We want to grow people. I mean as much as we can talk about Chicharito and stuff like that, we want people to watch the game in all forms and with all leagues. But when it comes to Major League Soccer, we mean as many people watching it as possible. And so we got to play up all the different personalities, all the different narratives out there. And then obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, the uh, the 25th anniversary. That's going to be that's going to be fun to celebrate because it gives us an opportunity to kind of look back and provide a window into some of the things that we've talked about for some people that have been watching even for years that still don't recognize where it came from. One, once again, it's not for them to say, well, thank you or anything like that. I think it just gives you a better perspective. And so from a t TV perspective, it gives us great opportunity to you know, show vintage clips and show where the league was and where it is now and juxtapose those two things. Nice. Um, one thing that's crazy to me is in 2007, the year that Beckham came to the league, that you were his GM with the Galaxy, um, president, I forget your exact title. Yes. Uh, sorry. Um, there were 13 teams in the league, only 13 teams in the league it, that's not that long ago. Right. There are literally twice as many teams in the league this year. There are 26 teams in MLS, and that's obviously rare because most European leagues have 18 or 20 teams in them. Is this getting really hard to keep up with everything? Yeah. It's. Uh, I was. Who was I watching? I was watching uh, Chris Collinsworth, uh, who is for those that. that 
don't know, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, one of the preeminent voices when it comes to color commentary yes. uh, in the uh, game of American football. Yes, okay. thank you. So, uh, and he's been around for a long time, and you know, he's, he's signed off, and I was thinking that he's done. He's done for seven months or whatever it ends up being until the NFL season kind of kicks off next, uh, next fall. And for those of us in soccer, it's never done. It's never over. There's always another game, especially when it comes to the overlapping and differing type of seasons that we have. Even an off-season that occurs for one league, it doesn't matter because there's another league going on that we have to go back and cover. And so I am not a, a savant. There are some in our business that are that are able to keep track of all the players, and I, I marvel and am so jealous of their ability to retain that type of information. I, I can't do that. I, so I have to constantly uh, replenish and refresh uh, and, and watch and just on a consistent basis have this diet of soccer that is, uh, that is going in and through osmosis and repetition try to get as much of it into my little brain as I possibly can. But it's hard, you're right. And then from a purely MLS standpoint, look, it, you, you cannot, you, I don't think you can, well, I can't retain that type of information. But for example, you know, we'll be doing games with Miami. We'll be doing games with Nashville. There are two teams that are coming in. So I'll have to be up on it uh, when the season starts and then as we go through. And, you you know, you do your work just like anything else. You get as much information. You talk to as many different people and you watch as much as you possibly can to get an idea. And eventually narratives will, will start to come out. But it's a lot of teams and it's a lot of players. Yeah. In, in covering soccer in the media, I mean, you covered the Bundesliga. I, I'm supposed to be on top of like five different leagues it does get hard to know like you know the 25th best team in mls like what's going on with them it's it's incredibly hard and so then when you get you know like a uh, you know my friend david mossy who i do the podcast with over there that that is this incredible receptacle and, and retainer of information and the savant that i call him it, it is it is amazing now the the, the thing is i don't have to know everything Okay, True. until that red light turns on, and you have right. some good support staff there yeah, too. Oh, uh, it's wonderful, and the research teams, uh, research team they had, and it's okay in the soccer world not not to know everything. There's only so much bandwidth a person has for soccer, but it, it you know, as, as you know, in talking to people that come over and visit the United States or North America, they're they're always amazed at the amount of soccer that they're able to watch and we are able to consume, and sometimes we lose track of that. We are incredibly fortunate. At each and every day, you can watch a, a game from anywhere in the world. You can watch your domestic league. It, it's uh, for it, it is, I guess, a soccer lover's paradise here. I don't know if it's gluttonous. I don't know if it if it, it gets to a point where there is ever too much soccer. But I'm sure some people can find that point. Don Garber actually said there was too much soccer on at one point that he thought that was a, a challenge for. Well, that's different for him because he's looking at it from a competitive side, right? Uh, and yes, if if MLS was the only soccer that you could watch, it would be good for MLS. Right? Would it be good for the game? I, I, I don't know. But from a Don Garber's perspective, I completely get that. But that's that has always been the. Uh, the competitive side and the challenge when it comes to Major League Soccer, as opposed to any other sport or league in the United States. We are competing with the world and we are competing for hearts and minds for people that recognize that there is that global uh, existence and that connection. Uh, not just recognizes, but they want that, you know, which is why you know, the, the EPL uh, resonates so much and why that is a major competitor and a challenge that other leagues and cultures don't have to deal with. But 
this is this is where we are and this is what we ha what we'll have to deal with and the challenge for someone like MLS is to show that they can not just be as good, but at times they can be better. But that's that's difficult because we know we, we talk all the time about our inferiority complex and our insecurities when it comes to the American soccer public out there and the inevitable compare and contrast that's going to happen. And at sometimes it's been good in terms of that compare and contrast, and sometimes we haven't been able to live up to it. Now, you notice I've been sort of restrained in this podcast opinion-wise. This has been a bit more of an interview than, than you might have expected. And it, it does remain my, my hope that someday we will be able to have the two of us or maybe more people a, you know, Bayless Sharp type opinion show for soccer where we can just I know, fire we back don't have, at each other. We don't have enough of that. That's the, you know, that's the problem. And uh, once again, it's the challenge. So I guess I guess it is a a problem in that we want more to have, but it's just the reality of the situation. And the the constant diet of talking and debating and discussing and critiquing and analyzing and doing that, that happens with all other sports um, and the platforms to do that. They're afraid to touch soccer too. They're limited, they're limited. Well, I, so I, I will never ever make fun of or ridicule or criticize someone that, that attempts to become better uh, to become more knowledgeable right. about the game what i what what drives me a little nuts is when anybody feels that it is beneath them to cover it. right i get i get that you're scared and that's okay it's a natural reaction it's not something that you necessarily grew up with it's certainly not something that you are an expert at but you know someone like uh my friend colin coward i was going to mention him you know, I, I worked with him at espn now i work with him at fox i got a lot of respect for him look you can agree and disagree with with what he does or what he says and stuff like that but that's what people of opinion do but ultimately and this happened at an early time he used to seek me out and even skip bayless i've talked to skip bayless at times mm -hmm because they recognize that they are involved in sports and yes they have their their go-to's but in order to evolve and to be relevant i guess would be the word they have to at least have soccer on their palate and i know at times when they deal with it it's much more from a thirty thousand foot perspective but it's the ones that say that is beneath me it's not even worth my time i don't care about it because i feel that nobody else cares about it and none of my listeners uh, care about it okay fine but you know, dinosaurs will die out, okay? And there will be a whole new world. And your ability to function in that world, I think is important. And I'm not saying you have to get down and dirty and be into the weeds with, with you and I and, and others when it comes to soccer, but at least have it as part of your palate and at least give it the respect that I think that it has gotten to the point where it deserves. There might've been a point before where it didn't deserve your time uh, or maybe even your respect. But let's be honest right now. I think soccer in 2020 in the United States, it deserves the respect uh, and the time um, and your time if you are talking about sports in 2020. There is one opinion you had out there recently that I do want to pick a bone sure, with what was here. That? Okay, yeah, get in There's line. just one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was that the attention U.S. soccer as a federation is getting, the na mostly negative attention yes for U.S. soccer from fans, from uh, media, and you mentioned a lot of different mainstream organizations, including mine, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. And I think if I read this correctly, you were saying that things aren't as bad as what Sports Illustrated and the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times are saying with the Federation. I'd have to, I don't know exactly what you're, you're referencing. I say a lot of stuff, <laughs> and so I lose track. I need like a, a, a catalog or an Excel sheet to, uh, uh, to go through my takes. I don't quite 
know exactly what you are saying. I do feel that there is a um, a penchant right now to say that the sky is falling or has fallen uh, mm-hmm. or continues to fall when it comes to... And we're talking about specifically U.S. soccer? Is yeah. That, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, when it comes to U.S. soccer. Look, I think that U.S. soccer has come in for criticism, often rightly rightly so. Uh, and whether it's... I don't think I... I don't remember mentioning Sports Illustrated or anybody else, but whether it's Sports Illustrated or, you know... And when I say Sports Illustrated, usually it's coming from you. Um, but you represent Sports Illustrated as I represent, uh, as I rep- represent Fox. I think that at times we are looking for things to be outraged about when it comes to U.S. soccer. I think my point then, and I, once again, I don't know exactly what you're talking about, but overall on this point, whether it's your point or not, um, I believe that there are incredibly good uh, and smart and hardworking men and women at times uh, out there in U.S. soccer and that work for the United States Soccer Federation that are part of the membership of the United States Soccer Federation that uh, often, especially over the last couple of years, have gotten crapped upon. And some of it is right criticism uh, and just and fair criticism. A lot of it is just you feel empowered and you feel angered because of what has happened. And let's be honest about what has happened. The U.S. men's national team didn't qualify for the World Cup in 2018. And everybody lost their you-know-what. And that was, a, that was a huge moment. That was a seminal moment, obviously a negative one, but one that will be remembered and referenced for a long time. So yes, there's going to be uh, outrage. I completely get it. But if the U.S. men's national team in 2018 qualifies for the World Cup, None of the other stuff that we constantly talk about right now ever gets talked about. The, uh, you know, the presidential election, the, um, uh, you know, what was the, uh, you know, all all the stuff that that has gone on over the last couple of years and the finger pointing uh, and the criticism. It it doesn't, it, it doesn't happen, which, you know, shows how, what a huge epic failure it was at the time because it started this cascade that, and I'm not saying that problems wouldn't have existed, but man, oh man, in, in sports, winning covers up so much. As you know, you covered for long enough. You know that. It, I, I do think Twitter is a very uh, useful outrage machine. Uh, I've noticed it mostly with VAR recently, yeah, just like huh? in England in particular. Um, but yes, obviously it fits with uh, the U.S. failing to qualify for a World Cup too. Um, question about, you're an opinion guy. That's your yes, thing mainly. Yes, I and I... I I'm a columnist sometimes. Uh, I've certainly worked with a lot of columnists, opinion people. How often or ever do you have an opinion that you actually don't believe? Like you're just there to stir the pot. No, no, no. Yeah, I I get this all the time. People ask me this all the time. I don't go out there and say something that I don't believe in. Now, having said that, you know, I grew up in a household that... um, that I was forced to uh, have an opinion, number one, and that it was good, all right? And it was a positive thing to have an opinion, whether people agreed with it or not. I was also forced to defend it. And I was also forced in the, in the debating tradition, even though I didn't do traditional debate team type of stuff, but I was forced to be able to put myself in the shoes of somebody else with a differing opinion, okay? And to be able to argue that. And so I guess, I guess my question to you is, if I put myself in a position that you disagree with or that 
uh, a, a position that you disagree with. And I argue that. And then I put myself in the absolute other position or the opposing side, and I argue that. Does it mean that I don't believe it because I'm able to put myself in both of those positions and argue that side? If you're a lawyer, uh, and even if you're a high school debater, I guess, like right. you end up taking differing uh, viewpoints and opinions that may not be your own, right? Right. So but I don't think I'm ever arguing something on one side or the other that at my core I disagree with or don't believe in, okay? And I'm not, there, there are certain things that for me personally, there is no other side because I can't argue that side. If I can argue that side and I believe it myself, then I, then I think it's legitimate to be able to state that. So, and I know I'm getting a little convoluted and, and not quite, no, I did answer your question, but I just want, to pe want people to understand because I get accused a lot of times that you're just saying that to stir people up. I will be the first to admit, I love to agitate. I am a proud disruptor. Uh, it is part of my job. It is something that I think is healthy. It is something that I think is beneficial to, to the sport. I learn as much, I don't know if anybody else learns, so it's not as much, I just learn from this. When, you know, when I say something that may, some people may disagree with, I ultimately, once that scene has played out, I, I learn from it. At times I've tweaked my opinion, at times I've even changed my opinion uh, because of the, uh, you know, the interaction and the debate and the criticism or the vitriol that, is, that has come my way. But I know we've talked about this before, I also am in the entertainment business, okay? I am a performer. I'm not going to apologize for that. I know people cringe sometimes when, uh, when people say that, but it doesn't mean what I'm saying is it, that I don't believe it, uh, that, it's not, um, that it's not with conviction, that it's not obviously with, uh, with passion. And I, I think that that's, I think that that's what, what people want. If, you're, if you don't think that I'm being authentic when I'm doing this, I can only tell you, that I'm not doing it just because I like to see you irritated, okay? <laughs> now, I do like to see you irritated. <laughs> I like to poke people, and I like to be poked. Poked, And like I said, that's, that's how I grew up, and that's how I got to the meat of a lot of things. And I think, ultimately, that's, that's how I get to my meat. I, I, I feel like I should put this out there publicly, because we did used to work together at Fox, um, that... I get people on Twitter saying, oh, you must hate that guy, Alexi. And, and I want to be straight here. I disagree with you quite frequently sure, sure. Uh, about a lot of things, not just soccer. Yeah, yep. <laughs> but, um, but you're one of the best teammates I've ever had. Oh, thanks. This is getting emotional Thank and sentimental you, here. But Thank like you. in terms of the work you put in uh, to prepare uh, for your sometimes garbage takes, <laughs> uh, but the work you actually put in to do that, to be on top of what's going on, um, and and actually, for anyone who's going on the air with you to um, to be supportive and have everyone look as good as possible, uh, I, I have always admired. Well, thank you. That's that's very kind of you. I, I well, it goes back to the performance. I you know I, I want whatever group I'm working with. It could be two, three, four people at a at a, at a desk, whatever it ends up being. Uh, I want them to look good because it makes us all look good. And by the way, them disagreeing with me or having a, a, a real solid poke back at me, that is great television. And that makes us all look good. And I, I want that type Sometimes of... Sometimes I, I think I get the sense that you wish that happened more often. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, look, I don't want to constantly be made fool of. It's really easy now, believe me. Yeah, you, you guys out there, uh, you can all uh, you know poke poke at me and and make fun of me, and I can certainly be uh, made to look a fool, but. I do look at every production as a performance and the performance of, of everybody. And, you know, when it, it does me no good within that production to uh, to command everything and to, to, you know, to tower over everybody and to monopolize the conversation. Um, but everybody, you know, plays their different part and their uh, and their different role. And when, uh, you know, when after a... Uh, I guess it'd be a confrontation, if you will, but once again, a, per, a performance. If you come out of it and I look like the villain, okay, compared to others, that's okay too. That's okay too. That's what makes it interesting. If everybody's all heroes or everybody's all villains and stuff like that, that's that's not fun. That's not fun. And once again, if you're out there listening and saying, "Well, it, then it's all just uh, it's all just manufactured." Well, first off. We're on television, so yes, a lot of it is manufactured, and some of the most off-the-cuff, natural type of things that you have seen, you'd be surprised at how many of them have been orchestrated and scripted and, yes, manufactured. But it doesn't mean it can't be great, and it doesn't mean that you can't have original moments and you can't have a free-flowing exchange of thoughts, uh, but ultimately, you know, we have a specific, specific period of time and we have to get out things, and so your ability to edit on the fly, as you know, working in television is important. Sometimes you have 13 seconds to get out a point. It's, it's difficult, and so your ability to be efficient with words and to make a point and to hit that take, uh, and hopefully it is hot. There's nothing wrong with hot takes or anything like that. I, I, I love that phrase um, because that's the business that we are in. It's not as easy, and it certainly doesn't provide the level and the layer and the nuance that something like when you're writing an article can do, but that's, that's not the medium it's that i different I'm thing, yeah. Um, quick one here. Uh, you're a referee. I am. Um, that's kind of crazy. What's the story? <laughs> so I, so my, uh, my kids have played AYSO for a long time, and I got into uh, refereeing in that... Well, with AYSO in particular, it's a volunteer component, so you, you kind of have to do something, and you should do something. And you can coach, or you can you know, do other administrative type of things, or you, and you can referee, and we need more referees. And so I went through all the classes and training, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, there was ulterior motives in that um, because of my job, and especially you mentioned VAR earlier, <laughs> we, we talk about referees maybe more so than we ever have. A lot of it's in the context of VAR, but referees are always going to be talked about. They are always going to be part of the conversation of a game, good and bad, all that kind of stuff. Mostly when it's bad, that's when, <laughs> that's when we talk about it. So, and once again, it, it, we, we talked earlier about spending other people's money. It's different when you're in somebody's shoes. And so having an appreciation and respect for what these men, men and women do, um, it's it's hard. It, well, it's easy up in the box, but it's it's hard to understand unless you actually do it and certainly I'm not doing it at the level but even the level that I'm doing it it has given me I think a, a wonderful perspective and yes a greater respect and maybe a greater understanding for the thought process um, and the actual physical work that happens out there uh, I, I do a lot more ARing, which is the, mm -hmm. obviously the person with the flag on the side for anybody that doesn't know, uh, as opposed to center. I think ARing is actually much more difficult uh, hmm. than center refereeing. Um, 
but I've learned a lot. I've had a blast doing it. I really, I really enjoy it. And uh, it's amazing, as, as you can imagine, the, the parents on the sideline and the different levels of knowledge when it comes to what the game is, obviously the laws of the game and the changing laws of the game. And, you know, some of the things that you hear, you could probably put in a coffee book and would be amazing, you know, things a youth referee hears on the sideline. At Sports Illustrated in the scorecard section of the magazine, we had this sort of uh, generic headline that we could put on for an item called Sad Tale of Youth Sports. <laughs> We'd always have a story every other week that would come up that would fit that. Um, are you, like, What are the ages of the kids that, of the games you're everything. I, I've done uh, I've done it all the way to adult leagues and stuff like that. There's only obviously the different levels, and I'm certainly not at the highest level, but the different levels will uh, you you will be allowed to do uh, whatever age group it is. But I've done every single age group. I've even done uh, adult games. Um, I even got <laughs> I was doing a I was doing a youth game once, and I got done. And the next game that was happening was an adult game. And they didn't have the referee. And so they came over and said, hey, listen, would you stick around? And I don't get paid for the NAYC. And they said, we'll pay you. And they, 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 they put a bunch of 20s in my hand and said, we'll pay you. And I went out and did it. Uh, you know, that, that can get a little dicey sometimes when you're dealing with uh, adults that are trying to relive some sort of uh, glory from, uh, from the past. But it's, and, you know, a lot of times nobody will know, I mean, not that they should, but my background until maybe somebody recognizes me after it. I wear glasses and I wear a hat. How often do you get recognized? So it's not till after. It's not oh, really? after, or they read it on the paper or something, <laughs> or something like that. So, you know, it's, and not that they're going to treat me any, well, sometimes there's a little bit more, if a coach knows, there's a little bit more reverence, maybe a little bit. It only lasts for so I'd long be more until or less. I make a bad call, <laughs> until I uh, call their, uh, you know, their guy offside. <laughs> So is Fox done like a video of you, like like a made a stunt, made a story out of this? Because I would watch that story. We would. I don't think anybody would. It's really not that exciting, Grant. It's just it's just me and a big, you know, uh, ill-fitting and <laughs> ultimately kind of uh, brash and ugly uh, yellow or red or blue or whatever green. There's so many different colors now. I mean, the what is it maybe more interesting is the whole culture and i guess it's a subculture of refereeing and these right. these, these men and women that do it and obviously they take it seriously and it gets more and more serious as you go as you go along and the stories that they have are just uh, are just amazing and i think it does take you know we were talking earlier about you know my my penchant for for irritation and uh and therefore inviting kind of a uh, a wave of criticism and vitriol and and I at times I've described it as a, a real punk ethos in that go ahead spit throw I don't really care as long as you're paying attention and I, I almost I almost need that you know, I'm sure a psychologist out there would explain why <laughs> why that is but I do think that referees fundamentally at their core are men and women that in a strange way court that type of uh, criticism and incoming um, uh, flack, if, yeah. if you will, and, and almost grow to grow to love it. Um, and I don't know if that's good or bad, but I do think that there is that that thread that binds a lot of referees out there. I have kept you here longer than I told you I oh, would. Really? So yeah. thank you for doing you. this, thank and you. good luck in 2020. Thank you. You too, to everybody out there. I hope everybody has a, a wonderful 2020 and uh, is happy, healthy, uh, and successful in the things they're doing, whether it's on or off the field, including you and yours. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the Planet Football Podcast. I'd like to thank Alexi Lawless, as well as producer Harry Swartout, and everyone at Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Remember, if you like the podcast, it would really help us if you go to Apple Podcasts and provide a rating and a review, and we'd appreciate you recommending the podcast to someone you know. See you next time.